Good afternoon, everybody. And uh, thank you so much for coming. I, I was really amused with these flasks of water. I mean, one was from three weeks ago, the other one was two weeks ago, and I'm trusting that this is this week's, but um, you never know. Anyway, thank you. Uh, for those of you who are new or there, maybe some of you have been coming a few weeks now, um, we are in a teaching series called King's DNA. And essentially, we, we wanted to take the opportunity to probably actually to remind ourselves, but also to let you know, particularly if you're new here, or be coming for a few weeks, you know, what are the key distinctives? You know, what are the identity markers that we hold to as a local church. Now, what we've been through is not an exhaustive list. You can't do that in six weeks. But they are just some, they are values, principles that are meaningful to who we are. And, and helpful for you to know, oh, these are, these, this is what Kings is. This is what, I, this is what we stand for. As I said, not, it's not an exhaustive list, but there's some of them. And hence we've talked about community and the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, grace, and today we're speaking on worship. That is a huge topic. So I'm going to dive in at John 4, 21 to 24. I must let you know this. This is not a Bible study. These are just, I'm, I'm, in one sense, I'm using this passage just to hang one or two things on but it's, so it's not an exhaustive Bible study by any means. And we'll come to it in time. Jesus is in a conversation with a Samaritan woman. He is a Jew. She's a Samaritan. There's all sorts of issues there. Won't go into that. And verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Imagine just... Imagine for a moment putting yourself in the shoes of someone seeing the story of Jesus for the very first time. Very, very first time. Almost as if you were an eyewitness. Because this is what happened to a primitive tribe in the jungles of uh, East uh, Asia. And the missionary came. And he, I suppose he must have put up some sort of screen, a sheet or whatever for them that, that, the, that the film would be projected. And you have to understand, they had never seen this film. They had not a clue about Jesus. They had never seen this film. Here's the next thing. They had never seen a film before. Not a film. I mean, this is completely new to them. And on this on this unforgettable evening, they saw this film in their, in their own language, right in front of their eyes. It was as if they were, they were there, 
in his life. And they saw this man, Jesus, with so good with children and, and his kindness towards people was phenomenal. And they saw me wonderfully healing the sick and having a, a, a love for people. So it just touched them. And then as, as the film rolled on, they, they saw this Jesus arrested. And then they, they saw the jeering guards who arrested him and, and then they was being beaten. And, uh, and there was this sort of uproar amongst the crowd. And they yelled at the screen, this must stop. This must stop. They were telling the guards to stop and all the rest of it. And, and it, and it was sheer, that was just sheer chaos. And in the end, they turned on the missionary. And, and he had to stop the film. He just had to stop the film. So he said, um, look, look, just let's calm down. Calm down. Uh, there's, there's more to come. There's more to come. Just settle, settle. So, well, there was more to come. So he started the film again, and, and the film started to roll. And, well, of course, it, not only was he beaten, they saw this man nailed hands and feet to a cross and horns on his head. And, and, the, and, the, and there's this, this, was this wailing there's this terrible sound of crying and incredible grief. And it was so loud, the missionary had to stop the film again. Had to stop the film. He said, hey, just hang on. Hang on. And uh, they settled them back down again. And they explained the story wasn't over yet. And they composed themselves, sat down. And then came the resurrection. Then my friends came to the resurrection. Wow. Pandemonium broke loose. I mean, they were cheering and yelling and shouting, back slapping. I mean, if they'd been in our culture, high fives, you know. I mean, it was all going on. Sheer acceleration. They erupted in jubilation. And it was deafening. I mean, it was like a party that's going on. And this time the missionary didn't stop the film. Didn't stop the projector to wait for what was to come next because what was to come next had already come. Sheer joy, sheer worship at Jesus being raised from the dead. Massive, massive worship. Well, you could say this. Actually, I have seen a, a film uh, of that. You'll get, I think it's on YouTube, and I see it in Uganda. And I saw the same things going on there. And it's quite wonderful to see. So um, this does happen. And you could say that they had entered into the gospel story. But actually, the real truth is, the gospel story had entered into them. And that's a massive difference. It's huge. It's always been this way, my friends. It's always been this way. God initiates, we respond. It always starts with him. He started the journey of your life. It started with him. It wasn't you. You thought you were seeking, but it, it was him who got your interest. It was him who caught your eye. He starts, he initiates, we respond. And so that is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about worship. I want to talk about worshiping in your life. I want you to be a worshiper in your life, in your home. I want us together 
unapologetically to be a worshipping people. It is our first call. So I'm picking up three strands, and I'm picking up the who of worship, the why of worship, and the how of worship. So, I mean, all of those demands a series of their own, but we're going to race. So, a who of worship. This, to, when, it's so difficult to define worship. To define it well, it, it's incredibly difficult because it has so many aspects and so many angles. So we're going to just start with, and that's why it's the who of worship, we're going to just start with encounters. It, it, who they encounter. And Isaiah goes into the temple in Isaiah chapter 6. This is the most righteous man in all Israel. He goes into the temple and he has a vision of worship. He is utterly captivated. It's in Isaiah 6. If you want to read it about it uh, another time, please do that. But his first words are this. I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Those are his first words. He sees this incredible vision, but his first words are, I saw the Lord. That's what gets him. And the train of his robe. I mean, this has a massive impact on Isaiah. He's blown away by it all. The robe is never described. He gets stuck at the train. I mean, the train of the robe fills the temple. This is quite a big building. And, um, but, you know, the, the temple was huge. I mean, absolutely huge. And in this vision, he sees the train. I don't know if you can imagine this, can you? I mean, the amount of cloth that just to fill this room, and we're talking about the train here, we're not talking about the rope. It fills the temple. I mean, it's so glorious. And the train of his rope fills the temple. You know, you've, been, you've seen a royal wedding on, on TV. If you've been invited, speak to you after me and tell you how you did it. Um, you've seen a, a train of the... Of the, of the wedding gown, and it, and it goes all the way down the aisle. This train fills a temple. It is massive. As oh, Isaiah sees it, and he is so struck by it. And then around the, around the Lord on his throne, there's this worship, angelic beings calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. All they're doing, my friends, is respect. Bonding to the Lord Almighty, captured, captivated, caught up with Him. It's all inspired by Him. That's worship. We think we started worship this morning. If you're here at 9.30 or whatever time you arrive, 9.30, 11.30, right, now we'll start worship. We don't start worship. Where do we ever get that idea? We join worship. We come in, there's always worship going on. These angelic beings cannot stop themselves. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And Isaiah, in this moment of vision of worship, he falls apart. Hence his words, I'm undone. I am undone. He just falls apart. And God transforms this broken man. God transforms him. And he, he says, I have a mission. Who will go? Isaiah's on his feet. I'll go. I'll go. My tr- worship transforms us. Well, take Moses, for instance. I mean, Moses has an encounter. I mean, Moses has the, or <laughs> has the 
I have people who ask for things, and I think, well, that's really bold. You know, I don't, I don't go asking for things like that. He just, but Moses has the audacity, I think, to ask God to see his glory. To see his glory. Well, no one can see God's glory and live. You see, so, but he asks. And then, uh, so, <laughs> this is the graciousness of God, isn't it? So God puts Moses in a, you find this in Exodus 33, 34, around there, and you, you got this sort of cleft, and he puts Moses in there, and he says, my glory will pass by. I'll let you see my, just, I'll let you catch, let you see that. And the glory of God passes by, and then it says he, he lifts his hand, however that works, you know, but some sort of covering for Moses is just lifted, and he sees the, the departing glory of God. And he is transformed, my friends. Utterly transformed. He must have just got a glimpse. It must have been a fraction of a moment of the glory of God. He comes down from the mountain and his face is radiant. It's radiant. I mean, like radiant. It's, this is not sunburn. All right. Oh, wow, you caught a bit of sun yesterday. It's not that. I mean, it's glowing. I mean, and the, and the Israelites are afraid. And Moses, had, they, they can't see his face. It is so bright. And he has to put a veil over his face. And every time he goes in with the presence of God, Moses can lift the veil and he gets caught in the presence of God. So my friends, it all happens in the place of worship. Moses' first encounter with God left him on his face. Burning bush. Moses does a wise thing, falls on his face. I am in the company of someone majestic. Isaiah does the same. Job does the same. So if you know the story of Job, you think if ever a man's got questions, he's got the right to ask them. I mean, you read the story of Job, you know, it's just, I mean, and he's got all these questions. And then God appears to Job. God has, I think somebody said something like 64, 68 questions for Job. Job is nowhere. Job is flattened by the presence of God. Wonders why he ever opened his mouth in the first place. My goodness me. Almighty God. My my friends, worship transforms us. Job is transformed. John, in Revelation, fell at his feet as though dead. God. Wow. Worship. You know, in this passage, this woman isn't breaking into Jesus' world. He is breaking into hers. It's always this way. It's always this way. In the conversation, which goes back a couple of verses, worship's used ten times. So that's the who of worship. And just we're moving quickly on, we get to the why of worship. And the word comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word. It means worth-ship. Worth-ship. So a recognition of, that's a recognition of something or someone of superior value. So when we, when we do that, when we recognize something of superior value, true value, it changes our attitude. 
Now, some of you ladies, you, you may have been given a you may be given a ring that you admired from your grandmother, and she's passed on and handed you this ring. I know you may have done that, and that may have happened to you. And, but just imagine you, you think, actually, it's content insurance. Just need to check here. Well, content insurance, it's a ring. I can't, I can't get it back again. You know, I can't get these rings made. Um, gets the ring valued. Just imagine you've got the ring valued, and, and then you, you look at the valuation. You thought it was worth 500, and the valuer says it's worth 50,000. And he can't wait to talk to you about it because the setting in which the stones are magnificent and the diamonds are absolutely flawless. And you'll be going home and checking out your grandmother's ring and going to the valuer and say, Have I got one of these? 50, it changes your actually got 50, just imagine a 50,000 pound ring on your finger. Well, I tell you what, it just changes your, it just changes your attitude completely. Your behavior changes as well. You know, you're no longer going to do an oil change on the car with that ring on your hand. You look completely blank, ladies. Just uh, please, I've met a lady today and she does oil, she's done an oil change on the car and you know, so I, I know this isn't past some of you. Um, my wife, by the way, I just want you to know, has never done an oil change on a car. She had somebody at the last meeting asking her, were amazed that she did oil changes of the car. She, I, she, it seemed that I inferred that she did the oil change. It wasn't true, but you know, your attitude changes. Similarly, this man, he brought a number of pictures. They're sort of picture postcard size. They're that sort of size, little, little postcard. And um, he brought them as a, in, in, in January, uh, not in January, in Canterbury uh, for $46. So that was th- about 30 pounds then. It was about two years ago. And he bought them as a job lock. So there was a number of them. And uh, what he did was he stuck them in his drawer. So he just gone threw them in his drawer. And he never thought about it for 10 years. And then uh, whether he's having a clear out or whatever, he hands them over to his son, Robert, so Robert has a second look, and he looks at this, he looks at these postcards, and after, after considerable investigations, it turns out this postcard is a constable. It's a constable, and subsequently, the value has changed. And so if we put the next slide up, you'll find it's just a little bit more. His attitude changes. This picture is not in a drawer somewhere. It's in a vault. It's in a vault. It's worth a quarter of a million pounds. It's in a vault. His attitude changed, and, and he hopes to get it um, renovated and be able to, a museum, museum to be able to put it on display. It, it's... Value, when you see something of true value, it changes your perspective. And that is what worship does. It changes your perspective. You know, when people come here, this is very important. We, come, we encourage you to come as you are. I gendered that right at the beginning. I've been in churches, my friends, where, where people have been encouraged to leave their issues, their baggage, and all the stuff of life as if it were just... Just put it down. 
Leave it, leave it at the door. Come in and have pure worship. But the inferred thing is, is that you go out and pick it up again. No, 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 no. We come as we are. We come as we are, my friends. That's so important. Jesus meets this woman. Dubious morals, sure. I get all of that. He's had this conversation with her. And he's asked her to bring her husband. And she said, I haven't got a husband. And he says, no, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with is not your husband. I mean, dubious morals, the, the whole thing. You come as you are. Do you know, it's when we come as we are, that is when Jesus has the opportunity to change us in the place of worship. Perspective comes. Truth breaks in. Do you know, there's times, not many of us, on one or two occasions, Des and I have been here. And because of things that have gone on in our lives, we have stood here just broken people. We have just wept, just sat and wept. But we've been here in the company of God's people. And we found that this place is a great place of encouragement and perspective changes. And God's people, as they worship God and truth begins to invade and, 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 and something, things get into proportion. And faith increases and God becomes more real in the issues of life. Never is this more seen than in church history. Do you know Acts chapter 7? There's a man called Stephen. And Stephen is offending the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin of the day. He's offending them. Why is he offending them? He's offending them because he's teaching about Jesus. And along the way he's doing some miracles as well. So people are getting healed. So they are really offended by this. Because this is all done in the name of Jesus. So they call him in to give an account. He comes in. He gives an account. You read it in Acts chapter 7. And oh my goodness me. They get so angry with him. They are furious, absolutely furious. They can't, they can't wait to get him outside and stone him. It's almost as if they can't do anything else but get their hands on this man. Such is the hostility. And in, the, in this, right at the very end, he says, Look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I mean, he is Jesus conscious right in the middle of all of this. And he dies in worship on his lips saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, this is worship. It transforms us. It changes us. Church history is littered with men and women all the way through history. Even now, for some things we have not a clue about some of the persecution that is going on. There are stories being written about the power of God in the midst of all of that persecution. Helen Rosevear is a medical missionary in Zaire. She was beaten and raped repeatedly in the Simba Rebellion in the 1960s. And she's, I mean, dis, uh, despite a terrible suffering, emotional bre- uh, breakdown and everything, the Lord sends her back. And in the sending of her back, she accomplishes amazing things for Jesus. Why? Somebody said, why do you do this? 
And she says, because he is worthy. That's it. Because he is worthy. These people, my friends, have their heads in heaven and their feet on earth. And they are rich in God. They are rich in God. What makes a person give their life like that? Revelation says this. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And love not their lives even unto death. It's all for Jesus. So in verse 23 here, we hear Jesus says, The Father seeks worshippers. It's an interesting question. What, what does that mean? I mean, if we see human beings demanding praise, come on, praise me. You know, if I let stand here, like, go on then, praise me. You know that you have a sort of negative. I can see it even now in your. Just thank you for being so positive towards me. But you know, you can. You know, I've, you see football players and uh, they score a goal and they strut. Me, 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 me. You know, I tell you what, it doesn't draw me at all. I find it incredibly arrogant. I get put off by that. And yet here is God seeking worship. Well, what's that about? How does that work? Isn't it unworthy of God to seek worship? Listen, he does not need our praise like some child fishing for compliments. We need to give it. That's the point. He's not the beneficiary. We are the beneficiary when we do this. He doesn't need our praise to feel better about himself. We need to give thanks and praise to feel better about ourselves for ourselves. It's his gift to us. Worship is his gift to us. The Father seeks, urges, presses us to be worshippers. You know, to be a worshipper means you wake up. You get into the real world where God sees things. I mean, you become the beneficiary. You get up and and you sit at his table. You're not groveling on the floor with your dog dish. No, you're up there seeing things from his perspective. That's a whole different panorama. It's a whole different ball game, my friends. Worship, it's for us. It's a gift. It means to become fully human. To be a worshiper enlarges you. If you sit there and refuse, it diminishes you and you shrink and grow small. It's for you. He's deserving of praise. Just think about it a moment. Just think about it a moment. If you're ever in the company of someone who's mean, soulless, forever critical, fault-finding. I don't know if you've ever been in the company of that, that sort of person. And they have this unbelievable capacity It's not a gift, by the way. It's a curse. They have this unbelievable capacity that when they walk into the room, they suck the life out of it. Oh, my goodness me. They're here. It's the sort of person you run a mile from. I can't cope. Just sucking the life. Wherever they go. Does that come across on the mic here? Anyway, just sucking the life out. But, But people who enjoy life who are full of praise and gratitude and thankfulness, who overlook flaws, always appreciative. Wow, you like being in those, that company. That's good company. It draws you. It's 
you like it. Well, if anybody has a love for life, it must be the Lord. It must be the Lord. Eh? Surely it's the Lord. Do you know, I have many moments when I, I just cannot get my head around why God has chosen me, why God has allowed me, allowed me to sing his praise. I just kind of, sometimes I just, how do you do that, Lord? It's not as if he's given me a second chance. That's not true. He gave me a third one, a fourth one, a fifth one. I'm still counting. I'm still counting on the chances that God in his grace has given me. And if he loves me, then that means he loves others just as much. And he gives me the capacity to want the best for others. Even if I am running away from that person. Sucks the life out of this. Okay, so he, does, he gives us that capacity. Christians, it's what you're made for. Chariots of fire. Eric, Eric Little says, I believe God made me for purpose. But he also made me fast. That's not going without food, by the way. That is the speed at which he runs. And... Uh, And he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Hey, God has made you for worship. And when we worship, you know, we know his presence. It is a transforming presence. So, how? How worship? I know we often think of worship in terms of singing and music. But you know, in its broader definition, it's a lifestyle. We, you can't do this. It's not an allocated time slot of songs on a Sunday morning. Please, don't diminish worship like that. It's far broader. It's a response of our very self to God. It's a response to God. You know, I'm looking at the New Testament. I'm looking through Acts and I'm seeing the response. I'm seeing the response of the people of God. This is it. Acts 2 and then, you know, in Acts chapter 2, there are... There's a responsiveness to the gospel. Jesus, I recognize you for who you are. I recognize my need of you. And the response is, and they say to Peter, what shall we do? What shall we do? And he says, repent and... You said it. Somebody said it. Repent and... You're very quiet because you're... And be baptized. Repent and be baptized. It's a, it's a response in worship. You get that one, Opie? Re- <laughs> Repent and be baptized. So in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people just get saved. What happens? Their response in worship is baptism. You get to Acts chapter 8. I tell you what, it's just the same. They believe, they're in Samaria. They're there, they believe, as Jesus died for them, rose from the dead, he is the son of God, they believe, they get baptized. Acts, uh, Acts chapter 10, so that's Acts 8, Acts chapter 10, they're in Cornelius' household. Cornelius has got friends and relatives. What happens, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and Peter says, What's stopping us getting them baptized? This is what I'm saying. Listen, hear me. This is a normal response to the gospel, baptism. We must get this. We sit in this optional culture. You know, we think, it's, it just, it's just never there. You've got to read Acts. It's never there. Optional. It's not that Acts chapter 10, then you get to Acts 18. It's the same. 
believe, baptize. Acts 19, baptism again. In Acts 22, Paul is giving his testimony. He tells how he was baptized. It's just our response. It's just our response. How do you respond to God? Well, actually, I get baptized. That's what we do. Paul assumes, he assumes everyone is baptized. Romans 6, you just read Romans 6, you just say, he assumes everyone is baptized. Look, this is part of our Christian journey. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it is an essential part of your Christian journey. Listen, if that's you, you know, let's just get going, please. Just get going, don't hang around. No need. If you have questions about it, we've got to, Exploring baptism course on the 26th of July. If you, have, you know, if you want to hear about baptism, come. It's an important part of your Christian life. How do we worship? We worship in response. How do they respond? They got baptized. You thought, I never thought you'd say that. I thought you'd be talking about singing. No, they didn't. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1. Bring it. I thought, well, how interesting. God. They put their bodies on the line. They got baptized. It's really important. You say, yeah, but I have lots of que- I have some questions. I have questions about christening and and uh, confirmation and and do you know some christenings they happen because it's an act of faith by the parents, and good for them. I say good for them, but this is something you do, not your parents do. And so if that's you, come on, get going, or come and ask your questions on July the twenty sixth. Please do that. And, and then here in this passage, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. You know, Ezekiel promises that God will give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's the point. This is a God work. To worship in spirit and in truth is a God work. Only God can do this. Otherwise, we'll end up as a choral society on a Sunday morning. Singing songs. No, it's not. This is worship. What we do is worship. That is a God thing to help you do that in spirit and in truth. It's a God thing. You, I don't get, you know, if you love singing, good for you. And if you're moved by the songs, good for you. But this is what, this, this is worship. Spirit and truth, my friends. It's clear, you know, we are exhorted to sing about God, to God, what he has done. Sing to the Lord. You know, decoration, celebration, adoration. We're exhorted to do that. You know, love, affection, music. It all goes hand in hand. There's industries built on this stuff. Believe me. It moves us. It is a gift. But spirit and truth is God-given. Only God can do that for you. He helps us worship together. He stirs us. He enables us to express ourselves. There is, there is nothing about the style of music, which one is better. You won't find it in here. It's a, I like this. Well, good for you. But the point is, is that there's nothing in here about the style of music. What is important is that you relate to the culture in which you are in. Spirit and truth, it's an essential mix. Spirit and truth. We're to worship in response to truth when that hymn came up. And can it be? Was that the one? Well, did you go? Did you go? My, why? Truth, truth, truth. Massive response from you. Worship in spirit and in truth. I think down there in the Indian Center, they have what they call a, a builder bear. It's a builder bear. I don't know if it's still there. Build a bear shop. 
You know, if you don't have truth, you'll build a God, but it won't be the God of the Bible. He'll just be the God of your emotions and feelings and all the rest of it. No, we worship in spirit and in truth. Absolutely key. And when we worship, it's, it's not private job. Personal, not private. And here's the thing. We do it collectively. This, my friends, is our story. It's not mine. Just mine. This is our story. This is a collective story. We have a privilege here at King's. We get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of the heart of God. Every tribe. Every nation. I mean, there's massive diversity in this church. Generational diversity. Background diversity. Nationality diversity. By the way, we're having an international Sunday in September. We'll give you more details about that as we get on. But there's wonderful diversity. Some places never have it like this. But we, you know, two years ago we had something like, just off the cuff we counted 36 nations here. That's huge. That's wonderful. This is what Paul calls one new man in Christ. I love that. I love the fact, it's not just the songs, I love it when they, we have all the, like all the nations together singing and worshipping God together. That's wonderful. We have a rich mix here. This is not because it's a good idea, by the way, or politically correct. This is the heart of God. So in, in uh, Genesis 12, his heart is to all peoples on earth. We're coming into, we're just getting a foretaste of Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Have you got it up there? Just See, after this, John says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude, multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out, they, 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 get this, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our, our God, not my God, our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Hallelujah. That is, that is, this is just a a glimpse. What we get here is a glimpse of what's going on and and what one day we'll, we'll be part of in heaven. But my friends, We are so blessed to do this together. It really gets me, as you noticed, going. I love this.